I've actually, as editor of one journal, had some a group, a nation, actually complain that nothing that of their articles were appearing in this international journal. And I looked, and none, nobody had submitted to the journal. So I suggested they submit and see what happens. Welcome back. You are on the Faculty Factory Podcast, and this is Kim Skorupski. And today I have my friend Tom Lewis again, our Professor Emeritus in the Department of Biostatistics at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. And Tom was on last time talking about career and time management. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that one, go find it because you're going to have to listen to it at least three times, I promise you. It's 10 minutes, but it's so chock full of wisdom and great stuff and pearls, you won't believe it. Tom, welcome back to the podcast. How are you today? I'm good. It's good to be back. All right. Well, so I think you said you wanted to impart some wisdom about publishing, one of our favorite things as academics to do. What do you got for us? I'll start with my experience. I've served as editor of two journals, associate editor for six, refereed for several statistical biomedical policy journals, da-da-da, been on the editorial board of three book series. And I, I kind of approximate that I've dealt with, in one way or another, about 1,500 manuscripts in my career. Yikes. So if nothing else, I've got a database of ideas. All right. So I'll start with saying why publish? Well, we all know the obvious reason, surely to advance your career and to develop a reputation. But in my view, it's also to fulfill the obligation to share your findings so that others can benefit from and build on your results. Doing so maximizes knowledge and benefits society. I believe we have a societal obligation to do this in addition to the career development obligation. Mm -hmm. So you need to start by, obviously, you need to have something to report, but I'll leave that to you. You need to select a journal. Yeah. Not all research is appropriate to submit to a leading journal, but we certainly intend and hope that some of our work qualifies. And here's a truth. The only way to publish in a top journal is to submit to it. I've actually, as editor of one journal, had some a group, a nation, actually complained that nothing that of their articles were appearing in this international journal. And I looked, and none, nobody had submitted to the journal. So I suggested they submit and see what happens. So the idea is to aim high but be realistic. It means that not every manuscript is worthy of the New England Journal or of the leading journals in whatever field you're in. But some should be. Be, the, be aware of the relation between prestige and acceptance rate. The leading journals in most fields accept no more than 20% of submissions, and in many, they accept far fewer. You hope for an accept, but even a reject generally comes with very helpful feedback that will improve your work. And I believe in the halo effect that's an added inducement to AMI, and that is the intention to submit to a top-tier journal I think it improves your research. It certainly improves your manuscript and your communication. When you're picking a journal, consider the review time and publication delay, access compatibility with your work, the subject matter, application areas, target readership. Are they sort of experienced pros or is it more for the general audience? What are the typical article lengths, number of tables and figures, supplementary material? All of these will help you decide what journal you'd like, to which you'd like to submit. And here's one that seems to be 
not necessarily noticed by people, and that is go to these journals and study several published articles. They're the successes, and I don't necessarily mean study them for the scientific or policy findings. You could do that, but it's more to see the writing style, the mixture of formalism and discussion, so on and so forth. They give you an idea of what that journal publishes. They communicate the journal's mission and target readership. We could go on forever about that aspect, but let's go to submitting. You sort of pick the journal. Follow all guidelines, format and style, length, author masking, all of those things. In the old days, and I certainly lived in them, where in fact the most advanced thing we had was an IBM Selectric typewriter, you would submit a manuscript and not so much worry about the journal guidelines. But these days, there's really no excuse not to comply with virtually all of the guidelines because you can take a manuscript and if you need to do it again, small modifications will get it ready for the next journal. Submit the article that you think should be published. Don't make the editor or referees do the work for you. Don't submit a manuscript with 15 figures and 10 tables with the prose content far exceeding the typical length of published articles. I've seen that happen so many times that people always say, well, people always reduce them. Well, yeah, they always reduce, the editors always reduce them because people always submit articles far in excess of the length that the journal will publish. So just submit the article you really think should be published in that journal. And unless you worry about extreme conflict of interest, don't blacklist a referee. I'm not saying never, but usually an editor won't necessarily out of any kind of malfeasance, but might pick that referee and then make sure to balance him or her with another one that will have a different view. But better to just let the editors pick unless you have some very specific concerns. What should you expect once you submit it? Well, first, if you haven't heard from the journal a few weeks beyond the typical review time, it's fine to contact the editor for an update via the web-based system or however the journal operates. Certainly, most papers require revision. Many aren't published in their first journal, sadly, or in their second, sometimes in their third, but there's usually a home. Especially if you aim high, be prepared for rejections or substantial revisions. And a good editor will calibrate your prospects. Excellent prospects, has possibilities, long way to go. Revision will be treated as a new submission. You're likely better off trying another journal or one that I have never issued myself but have seen. I don't ever want to see this again. (laughs) Ouch. (laughs) The point is the editor should consolidate the associate editor's reports and the referee's reports and, and calibrate the prospects. Right. If the feedback isn't clear, it's, again, okay to contact the editor to calibrate prospects, not necessarily to, to complain, but just not clear what you mean. In that context, generally, it's a waste of time and goodwill to fight a clear reject, even though, of course, the decision was ill-informed and arbitrary. Right. <laughs> Use the relevant feedback to revise for another journal. And again, that word generally is important because there are situations where you really feel that they just got it all wrong, that they didn't understand what you wrote. And indeed, sometimes misunderstanding on the part of the referees and editors is a valid comment on your writing rather than the ability to understand, their ability to understand. So if you think they got it all wrong, you can, if maybe the word protest is too strong, but it's fine to get back and say, I think you got it all wrong, here's what's going on. And sometimes the journal will take another look, not often, but sometimes. 
for revisions. In a cover memo, include all text of all comments and respond point by point. You can actually just copy over all the comments and then below them, each one separately, write your response. You don't have to do everything the referees or editors suggest, but you do need to make the case for not doing. You have to attend to them all. You do need to do essentially everything this editor requires and get revisions back in a timely manner, not only because it's good to be back in timely, but that's especially important if the review is positive. You don't want you want the revision to be evaluated by the same individuals. You don't want it to cross the boundary between editors or referees or associate editors. You really do want to have the good news continue. So a little bit about effective writing. I could go on and on, but I won't. Design your title and abstract to recruit the reader. In fact, you can kind of think of the title as a mini-abstract, and the abstract is a mini-article. Use the sonata form. Introduce themes, develop them, and then recapitulate. But most of your discussion in the discussion section, not in the methods and results. I've seen articles that say, well, we are using this, and then there are several sentences. However, we could have done this, and we might have done that. It's very difficult to know what they actually did when it's all intermingled. Save it for the end. Don't try for too much, but don't submit an MPU, a minimal publishable unit. Make sure it's got enough in it to be worth a good journal, let's say, publishing. And then there's the old getting to Carnegie Hall thing. Practice, practice, mm -hmm. practice. Right, right. Comment on the drafts of others, and indeed serve as a referee, not only because it's good service to the profession, but you learn a lot about good writing, and indeed you learn a lot about bad writing by being a referee and seeing what's coming in over the transom, if you'd like. Yes. So just a few more points in a coda. Look on the bright side, as Fred Mosteller, who was one of my mentors at Harvard and a famous statistician who sadly is deceased, he noted publication is more a matter of persistence than brilliance. Doesn't mean some of your ideas aren't brilliant, but it's really more that if you're careful and persist, you'll get published in good journals. And finally, effective communication takes planning, practice, patience, energy, and time. It's an integral part of your professional career and shouldn't be treated as a bothersome detail. Take it seriously and enjoy communicating your findings to others. That's it. Persistence. I heard a lot of P's in there, but I love that persistence. That's one definitely a common denominator you see in academics because you got to have a, th a thick skin and that persistence will help you prevail. Another P. That's right. When you get those rejects, take a walk or have a drink and go back and advise, <laughs> <Exactly>. you know? <laughs> exactly. Well, another great uh, quick snippet from Dr. Tom Lewis, Professor Emeritus, Department of Biostats here at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Tom, you were great as usual. Lots of good, juicy stuff here. And um, I thank you so much. And I know all the faculty members listening to this, thank you as well for your time. Well, I'll see you next time, Tom. Okay, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. 
The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.